from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch, friends. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. Glad that you are with us. We begin today's show with some difficult news. Congresswoman Jackie Walorski, who represented the great state of Indiana since 2005, died tragically and suddenly today. Walorski died in a car accident when she and three other people who were in an SUV traveling on Indiana State Road 19 when they were hit head-on by another vehicle. She was a friend of the program and joined us only a couple of weeks ago to provide her always energetic and always honest assessment of what was happening in the country she loved. She did love her country and fought courageously for the things that mattered most to all of us. She was a true friend of us here at FRC, to life, to those she served in Indiana, and to America. She will be missed, but we look forward to the reunion in heaven, and that is the great promise of eternity. And to her husband, Dean, and the rest of Congresswoman Wolowski's family, we are thinking of you, and we are praying for you. And we are so, so sorry for your loss. God bless you. Today on the program, why are congressional Democrats so interested in Family Research Council's tax status? We'll tell you what what their concerns are and why every church in America should care. In addition, the Attorney General of Washington State has opened an investigation into a Christian university in Seattle because they require their teachers to abide by a Christian code of conduct. We'll tell you more about that later in the program. Also, a pro-life constitutional amendment was defeated by voters yesterday. We'll talk about why this shouldn't be a cause for despair for the pro-life cause in America. But our top story today, as Senate Democrats plow forward with the reconciliation deal that they are calling the Inflation Reduction Act, Republicans in Washington have become increasingly aggressive in pointing out the bill will not only raise taxes, but will also fail to reduce the inflation that has skyrocketed the past 12 months under President Biden. Most of the attention has focused on Democrat, Kess, Chris, Democrat Senator excuse me, Kristen Sinema of Arizona, who is still not indicated which way she is leaning. It appears she will determine whether this bill passes or fails in the Senate. And joining me now to discuss it is Congressman Ron Estes. He serves on both the House Ways and Means Committee and the Joint Economic Committee and represents the 4th District of Kansas. Congressman Estes, welcome back to Washington Watch. Well, great. Thank you for having me on. Uh, We're glad to have you. Uh, First, I, I had to lead off the show with some terrible news today. Your colleague, uh, you serve on the Ways and Means Committee together, Congresswoman Jackie Walorski, uh, was taken tragically from us. What's your response to the news today? It, that really is, is a, sad, a, sad sta- a sad day, a sad story for us to deal with. Uh, Jackie was just, she's such a wonderful person. You know, she was, she was one of the first members of Congress to uh, help me when, when I first ran for office. And, and, you know, she puts her heart and soul into the, the work she did for her constituents in Indiana and, and continuously works to make things better for America. On that note, I want to talk about some developments uh, from your state of Kansas, which are really headline news nationally. There was a value them both amendment, a pro-life amendment that would have given the legislature in Kansas the authority to regulate and restrict uh, abortion in that state. It did not pass. What's your reaction to that news? Yeah, it really is is unfortunate about what happened yesterday. Uh, there was the, the actual constitutional amendment uh, wasn't about abortion restrictions per se, as much as it was to to correct uh, a, a ruling that the Kansas Supreme Court issued three years ago, 
that said abortion was spelled out in the Kansas Constitution dating back to 1861. And and that's just not what's there. And and really what the amendment was about was to uh to to put the responsibility in the hands of the legislature to to address uh, what kind of rules we might have for, you know, any kind of medical clinic or medical procedure, uh, I- including addressing uh, things that uh, abortion or or uh, other things that uh, uh, might be promoted. And unfortunately, there was a lot of money that came in from, from out of state, and a lot of confusion was created in people's minds about what really was being voted on and, and what it really meant. And there, there probably was uh, some wording uh, in terms of the way the constitutional amendment was spelled out, which created some of that confusion. Uh, but I, I, unfortunately, now it's even still being mischaracterized as uh, it, it was a vote to uh, to expand and, and maintain abortion rights. So we we need to make sure that uh, we're clear in our message and we make sure that uh, we correct those uh, erroneous comments that are out there and and in some cases distortions or even outright lies about what what has what has happened and and what we want in America. You know, when we look at, uh, you know, typically across America, you know, 80 percent of Americans, you know, don't think we should have abortion in in the third trimester. And, you know, that's that's a piece that we, we need to talk about moving forward. That's a really good point. The idea that people should have the right to abortion on demand anytime, anywhere at taxpayers' expense is truly an extreme position. Uh, and even after the reversal of Roe versus Wade, and even especially after the reversal of Roe versus Wade, that debate is going to continue state by state. But Congressman Estes, I also want to get an update from you on what's happening in Washington, D.C. this week. The reconciliation bill has been Uh, is moving in the Senate specifically right now. You made a comparison on Twitter this week, and you referred to it as Build Back Better. Is this how you see this? Is this just the reincarnation of a Build Back Better plan that President Biden failed to get through earlier in his term? It it really is. I mean, it's they, they haven't stopped talking about Build Back Better and negotiating on, on what they were going to include in the the latest version of the Build Back Better. And uh, actually, the, the concern I, I have is it's really not uh, building as much as being concerned about bankruptcy and 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 where where President Biden and 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 Senator Schumer and Senator Manchin are, are wanting to take the the country. As as, as you mentioned, it, it's it's bad for America from the standpoint of it raises taxes. Uh, even President Obama and even Joe Manchin says that it's wrong to raise taxes as we're going into a recession. It, it increases spending, uh, government spending, and uh, on the front end of this bill, uh, which is the cause of inflation. I mean, that's really how we got into this inflationary mess. Now was when, when once President Biden passed his ARPA bill. Uh, and then uh, double down with the, the the infrastructure bill that they passed. It just threw a lot trillions of dollars uh, out into the marketplace. And what that's done is we've seen a constant rise of inflation over the last last year and a half since then. And and so uh, that's going to cause more inflation, not reduce it. There is some uh, accounting gimmicks that make it sound like it's uh, it, it will uh, reduce the deficit, but those are all focused at the end of the 10-year period and probably will not come to pass. That's uh, one of the things I've seen in my five years uh, in Congress is that we talk a lot about uh, a 10-year budget or a 10-year window, and frequently the uh, the year or two later, a- after coming up with a plan, it gets revised and, and moved backwards. So we we need to uh, we we need to really take a step back and look at this this new version of BBB that they're trying to to push on the American people, and uh, it's not good. It's not good for job creators. I mean, it'll raise taxes on small businesses and and even even break the campaign promise that President Biden said when he was campaigning was that he wouldn't uh, raise taxes on people less than four hundred thousand dollars. And in fact, the, the nonpartisan Joint Committee on Taxation has issued a ruling last week in terms of saying that uh, it's going to increase uh, by roughly $16.5 billion taxes on people making under $200,000 a year. 
We're speaking with Congressman Ron Estes from the great state of Kansas. And Congressman, obviously, the congressional Democrats have a different take on this legislation. Here's how Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer described what he's referring to as the Inflation Reduction Act. Let's play clip two. The, infl- the Inflation Reduction Act achieves three main goals. Lowers prices for prescription drugs. Lowers energy costs for average citizens and fights climate change in the most significant way that we've ever done and reduces the deficit and inflation while causing many good-paying jobs. Congressman Estes, that all sounds wonderful. What's your reaction? It, it sure does sound wonderful. Unfortunately, it's kind of the propaganda spin that we're used to seeing coming out of uh, particularly, you know, some of the Democrat leaderships. But you know, in terms of calling this a, an in, uh, inflation reduction bill, it, it's not going to reduce inflation. It's going to increase uh, government spending, which is the main driver of inflation. You, you go back and compare the the ARPA bill that was, you know, the victory in President Biden's first hundred days. Uh, that really was the was one of the the key drivers of the inflation that we're suffering through now. And to go out and spend more money on top of that is going to make it worse. Uh, it doesn't really lower energy costs on Americans. What it's going to do is raise their taxes uh, and force them to pay higher taxes so that they can put more giveaways in for special interest groups. So that's not uh, a benefit for the average American uh, through that process. So it, it really is uh, the, the propaganda spin that they're they're putting out there on uh, trying to sell this bill. And it's it's unfortunately what we've seen all too often. Congressman, tell us in your assessment, what would the impact be of this bill on the average American family? Well, what it's going to do, first and foremost, is it'll start raising taxes. And uh, what that's going to do is it's going to hit small businesses. It's going to hit uh, the individuals making less than $200,000 a year. Uh, Middle income and low income folks are going to hit uh, and have to pay an extra $16 over $16.5 billion in extra taxes, which on top of what they're having to pay for higher groceries and higher gas prices right now, uh, they take more money out of their pocketbook. Uh, and it's going to then generate more government spending, which is going to drive additional inflation, which is going to further hurt the average American pocketbook. I mean, we, my, my constituents in, in my district and across Kansas and, and really across the country are already suffering through, you know, having uh, gas prices go up uh, double uh, over the last uh, uh, year and a half, having, uh, you know, food, things like bacon and meat and milk, uh, all in rapid price increases. Uh, I saw a story today talking about the percentage of people that are starting to have to take second jobs just to uh, afford the inflationary increases in the daily cost of living. It is affecting everyone in Congressman. If you can, in about 30 seconds, it looks like Kristen Cinema is going to decide if this passes in the Senate. It really is a quirk in the in the way the the reconciliation process is out there is that by having fifty Democrat senators and and Vice President Harris to break the tie, uh, you know if all the senators vote for it, they they can ram something through and, and then ram it through in the House. And uh, it's really unfortunate that this is the the situation we're in America, and we can't sit down and come up with good, thoughtful, common sense legislation that works to help make America better. Congressman Ron Estes, we greatly appreciate your time today and your service to our country. Thanks for being with us. Well, thank you. And we are going to continue to track that story closely here on Washington Watch throughout the week. We're expecting what's called Votorama in the Senate, and we'll be here to cover it all on the reconciliation bill. Coming up when we return... Why is why are congressional Democrats so interested in FRC's tax exempt status? They are. And we're going to tell you why every church in America should be concerned when we come back here on Washington. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, 
and he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with the prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org slash worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony. Reminder that the website is TonyPerkins.com, where you can find this in every episode of Washington Watch. A left-wing website recently published an article about Family Research Council filled with misinformation. But that misinformation did not stop 40 House Democrats from following up with a letter to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and the IRS Commissioner, quote, expressing concerns, end quote, about FRC's tax status. Now, we've published a response to the information in today's episode resources that you can find at TonyPerkins.com. But the truth is, this attack isn't really about Family Research Council. It's an effort to target, intimidate, and silence religious organizations everywhere. See, you are free to believe whatever you want, but this is evidence that if you ever become a threat to their power, they will try to harm you. While FRC's high profile in Washington makes us a convenient target, every person of faith who desires to be a force for good in the world should see this for what it is, a threat. Joining me now is Congressman Kevin Brady to discuss it. He represents the 8th District of Texas, and as the raking member of the House Ways and Means Committee, he has a deep knowledge and understanding of how an organization such as Family Research Council should present itself to the IRS. Congressman Brady, thanks for joining us here on Washington Watch. Joseph, good to see you. Thanks for having me. We're glad to have you, and uh, unfortunately, I want to ask you to start. We have uh, announced to the audience this tragic news of the passing of your colleague, Jackie Walorski. Just like to give you a moment to uh, respond to this terrible news of the day. Well, it really is terrible. We are all shocked and and heartbroken. Jackie is our happy Hoosier. Uh, She brought, she lit up every room she was, and she brought joy, passion, brilliance to everything, and she could do everything. And for your uh, viewers, you know, I think you know her as a champion for the un- innocent unborn. Uh, she was a warrior for religious freedom. She especially had a heart for adoption and foster children. She helped lead our efforts 
to make sure states and federal government uh, couldn't cancel out faith-based organizations who were merely trying to practice their faith and, and connect foster kids and other children to their forever home. So we are, look, God took a special angel home uh, to him today. Uh, we are, again, just, we, we are praying for her husband, Dean. She also lost, we also lost two young uh, congressional staffers with her, Zach and, and, and Emma, who were just remarkable. She was so proud of her team uh, and them. So I know this whole country is in shock right now. It is a loss for so many. Congressman, I do want to take on this topic and the things that are happening in Washington, D.C. You've seen the letter from congressional Democrats to the IRS uh, calling for an investigation into FRC. What if we take their concerns at face value, what do they claim to be concerned about? Yeah, well, really, there is nothing at face value here. This is just yet another attack on faith based organizations and religious freedom. Family Research Council, I know, is an association of churches. Uh, I watched the process that they undertook. It's very, it's a very diligent, thoughtful, deliberative process. I've been in, was recently with Tony uh, and his team here in the Woodlands, where uh, they were doing outreach in in a conference with our faith leaders in our region, for offering and providing the services for the ministry and the outreach that churches uh, seek to do across our country, indeed across our world. And so I think this is a politically motivated and yeah. and uh, a frivolous uh, letter and effort. You know, this IRS, by the way, has a history of targeting faith-based conservatives and faith-based organizations. I hope they will see this for what it is and dismiss this call for uh, any kind of investigation. And, and Congressman Brady, specifically what they say is because Family Research Council a couple years ago uh, qualified as an association of churches, they're claiming that that was done to avoid certain filings, which coincidentally FRC has continued to file, though not legally required to, has continued to file. So the accusation is you don't want to file these documents that you have been annually filing. So it does seem to be a smear. But as you note, there's some history here, um, because back in uh, just two years ago, congressional Democrats sought to strip the tax exempt status of 60 groups that they referred to as, quote, hate groups. Here's what you said at the time. We must not allow the IRS to become politicized. My belief is that the darkest days in America have been when we have weaponized the government. Is that still what's happening here, Congressman? Yeah, that's what I worry about. Every American should worry about an IRS who has the power to destroy through taxation and its actions that they, any IRS from any government, any administration, be able to target Americans based on their political or the biblical beliefs. I worry that's happening again today. But I also worry there's now almost a new, not uh, not among all on the left, but among some, a tolerance for political violence against faith-based organizations. We saw this in the attack, domestic terrorist attack on Family Research Council, which frankly could have ended up with so many horrific deaths. And there are groups that I think embolden that type of political violence um, it, it is the wrong way to go, and I worry that letters like this and, and other attacks, you know, uh, embolden more of that. I hope I hope that won't be the case. And Congressman, what do you believe the real intent and motive behind this is? Is this intended to have a ripple effect on others who might speak publicly it the is. way FRC does? Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, the effort is to intimidate and muzzle faith-based organizations. It's one of the reasons they fought so hard in tax reform in the House, working with Tony Perkins and other leaders, why we repealed the Johnson Amendment to make sure that those who, who speak from the pulpit, uh, who practice their their biblical beliefs, cannot be targeted by the IRS and their tax-exempt status. Uh, unfortunately, that was later stripped out in tax reform, but for the first time twice, actually, we did it. It passed the U.S. House. I'm hopeful someday we can provide faith-based groups of all faiths, by the way, uh, that protection from government. But this is this has been a long and difficult fight, and I'm sure it will continue. You are correct. It has been a long and difficult fight, and I, like you, am sure that it will continue. But Congressman Brady, all the churches and pastors and, and Christians just watching and listening today, the thing that they need to know 
most of all is do not back down. Do not be afraid. This That's is an right. intimidation tactic, and it only works if we surrender. And we certainly have no intention of doing that. Congressman Brady, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Joseph. Take care. Likewise. Now, coming up after the break, there's another great example of intimidation, this time from the great northwest, the city of Seattle. The attorney general there has started an investigation, a civil rights investigation into a Christian university. Why? We'll tell you all about it when we come back here on Washington Watch. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm. It's my pleasure to be with you today, sitting in for Tony. You can find the show, as always, at TonyPerkins.com at your convenience. As the public sphere becomes increasingly hostile to religious faith, it's encouraging to witness those who remain bold in their faith despite such attacks. A recent example comes from the state of Washington, the city of Seattle, where the Attorney General Bob Ferguson has launched an investigation into Seattle Pacific University for requiring faculty and staff to abide by their Christian code of conduct. As a result, the university is being accused of civil rights violations against, you guessed it, LGBTQ plus people. To their credit, the school is not backing down. The university filed a countersuit asking a federal court to stop the attorney general's interference with a Christian university that is merely seeking to remain true to its faith and mission. And joining me now to discuss this is Lori Windham, Senior Counsel at Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, the organization that filed the countersuit on behalf of SPU. Lori, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for having me on. It's great to be here. We're glad to have you. There's a little background there, but tell us a little bit more. What do we need to know about how this situation developed? Well, there's been controversy because Seattle Pacific University, as a Christian university, asked that its leadership, its employees, uh, agree with its statement of faith and abide by its lifestyle policies that are rooted in its Christian faith. Uh, because of that, Washington State's Attorney General, the same one who had gone after Arlene's flowers, decided that he was going to open a wide-ranging investigation into the university and ask for information on confidential and private employee matters and also on religious matters. That's something that our Constitution and the First Amendment forbids. And so Seattle Pacific is in federal court now asking that its rights be protected. Laura, you mentioned there that this investigation is kind of 
probing the religious beliefs of the university. Do you have an example of the kind of questions that they're asking for, the information that they're looking for? The university is wanting to know what the uh, religious university's policies are, what all of its employment positions are, how it has applied those uh, those policies to employees, and even private contact information for employees, presumably, so that the attorney general can contact them uh, and learn more. This is an attempt to interfere in the decisions uh, and the religious decisions and relationships of a religious university and organization. Yeah. And so this is something that is prohibited by law. Lori, this this brings to mind something that I feel like I've heard about somewhere that referred to as the separation of church and state. And and I've heard a lot of my friends on the left talk about this. And, and ironically, this seems to be an attempt by the state to manage how the church in this in this case a christian university operates am i misunderstanding this in some way uh, that's exactly right and that's ex- very well said the supreme court has said part of separation of church and state is actually keeping the state out of the affairs of the church and stopping government officials from getting involved in religious disputes this is something for a religious body to decide what its beliefs are who's going to lead the group, and how it's going to live that out. Government officials are not entitled to interfere in those decisions. You mentioned Attorney General Bob Ferguson, who is a a little notorious in religious freedom circles because he, again, initiated the initial legal action against Baronel Stutzman. You mentioned she's the owner, was the owner at the time of Arlene's Flowers, and spent nearly a decade in court defending her right not to decorate for a same-sex wedding. So this is the same attorney general who now seems to be going out of his way to try to micromanage how a Christian university is operating. On what basis does he think he, as the attorney general, has the right to do this? Well, that's a great question. You ought to ask him. Um, He (laughs) has argued in his letter announcing an investigation, argued that under Washington law, Seattle Pacific University doesn't have the right to be able to ask its employees to uh, affirm its faith commitments and abide by its conduct expectations. Um, Those are rights that are protected by state and federal law. Those are rights that are protected by our Constitution. Uh, And yet the attorney general is the one who began this by opening an investigation uh, and threatening further legal action against the university simply for living out its faith. Lori, how do you expect this to be resolved? Because at first glance, this just seems like an obvious overstep, an obvious abuse of power, especially given very recent precedent at the Supreme Court telling governments you can't harass people because you don't like their beliefs. What's your uh, expectation for this case? Well, you know, you're exactly right. The Supreme Court has been clear that religious schools have the right to make these decisions for themselves. You know, I would hope that the attorney general would recognize that this is uh, an unlawful investigation and uh, would back off from that. Uh, But we're going to see in a couple of weeks what his answer to the lawsuit will be. uh, And uh, if he's going to continue to fight this, uh, if he's going to continue to try and go after the university, and he's indicated in some of his statements that he will, uh, then I believe ultimately the courts are going to rule in favor of Seattle Pacific and its right to follow its mission, hire those who share its faith and mission, uh, and protect its First Amendment rights. It really is sad that we're even having these conversations, but I think this case is a great illustration of how the blue state, red red state divide in America is becoming so clear, where you have, in certain circumstances, governments trying to manage uh, religious institutions, micromanage religious institutions in this way. But Lori Wyndham, thank you so much for your time, and thank you for all the work you at the Beckett Fund do on behalf of religious liberty. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be part of the work. God bless you. Coming up next, we talked a little earlier in the program about the loss for the pro-life cause in Kansas. Is it a reason for despair? It's not. And we'll tell you why when we come back. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? 
Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text S-T-A-N-D to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. Thrilled that you have decided to spend a few minutes with us as we talk about how to understand the news of the day, which is always distressing, from a biblical worldview. Yesterday, the pro-life cause experienced its first setback at the ballot box since the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. Voters in Kansas defeated value them the value them both amendment, excuse me, which would have clarified that the state constitution does not contain an unalienable right to abortion. Now, while the results are disappointing, this part this is part of an ongoing battle pro-lifers knew we were gearing up for following the return of the abortion issue to the states. Joining me now to discuss this is Dr. Michael New. He's a visiting assistant professor of political science and social research at Catholic University, as well as an associate scholar at the Charlotte Lozier Institute. As well, this segment is sponsored by FRC Action. Dr. New, welcome to the program. Uh, thanks for having me. Much appreciated. We're glad to have you. You've been covering this. A lot of people woke up uh, today and saw this news and perhaps were disappointed. People see Kansas is in the middle of the country and they say, well, it's a conservative state, so it should be a pro-life state. Were you surprised by the results there? Um, I was disappointed, but I wasn't surprised. And I think there's a couple of things that uh, your viewers need to keep in mind. Uh, first is that there's a lot of research on direct democracy that shows that the side that spends the most money usually wins. And unfortunately, the pro-life side was really outspent by our opponents. Uh, they spent more than a million dollars than we did. And a lot of that money came from out of state. It came from Planned Parenthood. It came from other politically liberal groups from outside the state. So when you get outspent, uh, that makes it difficult. So I think that's one thing. Secondly, pro-lifers can succeed in direct democratic campaigns, but a couple of conditions have to hold. Uh, first is that we have to be proposing something incremental uh, that's clear and easy to understand and can't be distorted. 
and it also has to be in a conservative state. Uh, the second condition held, but the first one really didn't. Uh, the value of the both amendment was a good idea, but it wasn't really clear what the implications of this amendment were to a lot of people. Uh, it would make it possible for the state legislature to do more things to protect preborn children, but many thought that it would result in a statewide abortion ban, which is not the case. But that's the messaging the other side used to great effect. Uh, that did succeed, and I think that did play a role in our, our defeat yesterday. Dr. New, we know that because this was a constitutional amendment that was been on the ballot, the wheels had been turning for a long time, long before the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade in the Dobbs decision in June. But do you think that decision had an impact on the outcome of this vote? Uh, Yes, it did. I mean, the decision to put this on the ballot predated Dobbs. Uh, Essentially, that in 2019, uh, the Kansas State Supreme Court uh, found that the Constitution in Kansas, the state Constitution, uh, protected the right to an abortion. And many pro-lifers were concerned that would future rulings might jeopardize existing pro-life laws. They also thought it might make it harder to pass pro-life laws in the future. And that's why they went ahead and put this on the ballot. Uh, then the Dobbs decision came down. And while that was a great victory for pro-lifers, uh, it made it much easier for us to you know, pass protective laws. It also made it possible for us to you know, do a lot more at the state level. And it also energized our opponents. You know, they could try to argue that a value them both passed uh, that would result in a statewide abortion ban. And again, I think that gave our opponents some extra motivation, certainly gave them some extra funding. Uh, and I think those uh, advantages they had were a little bit much for us to overcome. Now, you talked about some of the messaging and the misunderstanding, and there's some just confusion practically perhaps about what it was even trying to say on the ballot, and certainly uh, intended confusion created about what the implications of passing this amendment would be. But here's a clip of what President Biden had to say about the Love Them Both Amendment, and then I want to give you a chance to respond. Let's play clip one. Voters of Kansas defeated a ballot initiative to remove the right to choose an abortion from the Kansas Constitution. It's in the Kansas Constitution. They're trying to strike it and eliminate it from the Kansas Constitution. Michael New, is that a fair characterization of what that vote was about? Uh, No, I think that's very uh, misleading. I mean, again, first off, there really is no right to an abortion in the Kansas Constitution. That right was discovered by an activist judiciary. What pro-lifers want to do is just make it clear that the Kansas Constitution, you know, does not really go ahead and contain an explicit right to an abortion. They wanted to make sure that existing pro-life laws, like limits on taxpayer funding of abortions through Medicaid, are protected. They wanted to make sure they can go ahead and pass gestational age limits in the future. Again, there really is no right to an abortion in the Kansas State Constitution. It was invented uh, by an activist judiciary, and this amendment, this proposed amendment, which is to put some good protections in place. Dr. New, this has received a lot of attention because it is the first abortion-related ballot measure since the Dobbs decision. But as we all know, because Roe versus Wade has no longer imposed abortion on the entire country, this is going to be fought at a state-by-state level for decades, generations perhaps. What do you think the pro-life community, the pro-life cause, can and should learn from this ballot measure? I think we just need to be persistent. You know, uh, we are not promised a, you know, easy glide path to victory after Dobbs. We're going to have to take us to the states, and we're even going to run into resistance even in conservative states. But it's important to remember, we've done quite a lot of good since Dobbs. Uh, Guttmacher, uh, which up until 2006 or 2007 uh, was Planned Parenthood's research arm, they did analysis last week of 11 states where protective pro-life laws are already in effect. And in those states, 43 abortion facilities are no longer doing abortions. Uh, That's great news. That's real progress. Mm -hmm. We also have data from Heartbeat International. Uh, They found their hotline has seen an increase in call volume by 15%, and a majority of their uh, pregnancy help centers are seeing uh, more and more women seeking help. So abortion facilities are closing down. More pregnant women are seeking life-affirming options. These are great victories to the pro-life movement. Again, we're not always going to win every battle. We just need to be persistent. And again, I'm always confident that the end uh, victory will be ours. And that's a great point. And, and the victory will be ours, I think, on this issue, uh, just because we happen to be right on this. And that is a distinct advantage in public policy that eventually over time, uh, the fact that you are right, that it is a child, that it's wrong to take the life of a child arbitrarily just because you find that child to be inconvenient, is a position that is much easier to defend over time. But Dr. New, we acknowledge in what this, what this constitutional amendment vote 
prove to us is that it's it's not always linear and it's not always simple. And, and people who are watching and listening today are thinking about public policy. How do you recommend that pro-lifers approach ballot measures, uh, legislation in their state to advance the cause of life in light of what we've learned here? Well, I think we have to be past the most protective laws that are politically possible. Uh, I think if you just look at the history of social movements in this country, you know, progress happens incrementally. Uh, one of the most important victories to the civil rights movement was actually getting public law schools desegregated. You know, that was a good incremental win and helped train a generation of good civil rights lawyers that paved the way to future victories. So there's a lot of parallels with other social movements. Again, we should, again, pass, you know, the most protective law we can uh, that's politically feasible, uh, that's going to be different for different states. But we just need to build. Uh, one important thing we have done well is we've gotten abortion numbers down. Uh, the abortion rates fall by more than 50 percent since 1980. So the incremental things we're doing, whether it's legislation, service, education, do add up and do help build a culture of life. Dr. Michael New, thank you so much for your time today and your encouragement on this, because we will, as the other side likes to say sometimes, be sure to persist. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, thanks for having me. Much appreciated. Now, of course, the ballot initiative in Kansas was just one of the many elections yesterday as five states held their primary elections. Among those was the state of Michigan, which saw one of 47 Republican congressmen who voted in favor of codifying a redefinition of marriage lose to a conservative primary challenger. Joining me to discuss this and other Headlines from last night's elections is Brett Kylan. He's the vice president of FRC Action, and FRC Action is sponsoring this segment. Brett, good to see you today. Thanks, Joseph. Good to be with you. So you track these things closely. We just talked about a development in Kansas, but there was a lot of other things happening across the country yesterday. What did you take away? You know, Joseph, there were a few uh, key races that we were watching. I think they have national implications. I think it's important to remind ourselves as well. You know, a lot of us uh, don't like primary season or election season or, or it turns us off, but policies really are on the ballot. And that's what this is about. And elections continue to have consequences. And, and I think about it, you know, through that lens, uh, a couple of the ones that really stuck out to me yesterday were a couple of key races uh, for the United States Senate. Uh, it's split 50-50 right now. We've seen so many different policies over the past couple of years that are that are incredibly important. Uh, one of those races for the, the U.S. Senate was in Arizona, the primaries uh, in Arizona. And uh, it's a seat currently held held by Democrat Mark Kelly. Um, we now know who the, the Republican candidate will be. That'll be Blake Masters, who has a business background there. That's uh, that's on everybody's short list as, as far as these races that will probably determine uh, who gets Senate control uh, in November. Uh, another key U.S. Senate race was in Missouri, uh, where we had uh, Attorney General Eric Schmidt win. Uh, that was significant because depending on which candidate came out of that primary, um, there was some uh, speculation maybe that would be a competitive seat uh, this fall. Um, Schmidt is is deemed by most people to be a, a solid conservative, solid candidate. So most, most experts are saying that's probably a pretty safe uh, seat for the GOP this fall there as well. Also some key governor's races. We were watching uh, Michigan, uh, Arizona, and Kansas all had significant governor's primaries as well, and now heading into some very uh, important uh, general elections this fall. And Brent, we noted at the lead into this segment that in Michigan, there was an interesting congressional race because one of the congressmen who voted against his party in general to codify the Obergefell decision and same-sex marriage into federal law actually lost his his primary to a challenger from the right, a more conservative challenger. Do you think that issue played a role in that race? Joseph, I do. And it's a, it was an extremely uh, interesting race to watch. Um, our PAC, FRC Action PAC, actually endorsed John Gibbs, the challenger there, who is taking on Peter Meyer in Michigan's third congressional district. Uh, this race was particularly interesting because Meyer was one of those 47 Republicans, like you say, to vote to undermine marriage and religious liberty. But the primaries yesterday were the first primaries after that vote, really. So he 
he was one of the first Republicans to vote uh, the wrong way on that to also be held accountable at the ballot box. So uh, people were wondering, how would this play out? And and um, he, he lost, as you said. Uh, it was a, a close race, 52 to 48. But uh, Meyer actually had way more money than his uh, his challenger as well. The, the last reports I saw uh, had him outspending him five to one, and he still lost. So issues like that, uh, some other issues at play in that race were very significant and just just reminds us that that people are watching what their members do in Congress and uh, they they will hold them accountable at the ballot box. Now, Brent, I know that he was one of 47 House Republicans, but all 47 will be on the ballot. Are are any more of the 47 who voted uh, for the codification of the Obergefell decision? Are they still going to face primary challenges? And do you expect that to be an issue in other races? I do think it's something that's important to keep watching in other races. The majority of them are past their primaries, but there are a couple other ones as well. Uh, one that comes to mind is Liz Cheney in uh, Wyoming, who uh, is being challenged by Harriet Hagman out there. Uh, that is at, uh, sometime in August. I can't remember the exact date, but it will be interesting to see uh, it impact uh, primaries like that for sure. Wyoming's primary is August 16th for those who are in Wyoming and be sure to vote. But of course, uh, Liz Cheney has a lot of other things going on in her election as well. So that will be a national story, uh, whatever the outcome of that is. Um, Brent, one of the other kind of narratives around these primary elections, specifically the Republican primary elections, is trying to understand how much influence President Donald Trump still has in the Republican Party? People are looking at Trump-endorsed candidates and not Trump-endorsed candidates to see how they're doing, how much influence he may still have. What were the results that way yesterday? You know, there were some uh, results uh, on both sides. I think the fact that he still has some influence in the uh, in the party is is uh, undeniable. Uh, probably case in point there is Arizona, where a lot of the the, the Trump backed candidates either won or or are leading. We look at the 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 U.S. Senate primary that I mentioned, also the governor primary, um, which was a very close race. I, last I checked, that was too close to call. Um, had a few other races like that as well. So um, I, I think there definitely is still some influence there. Now, Brent, uh, perhaps the last question for you, but I'm going to ask you to get your crystal ball out because what everybody really wants to know is what's going to happen in the House and the Senate come November. Uh, do you have a prediction you know, I, I think that the, uh, the the Republicans will will take the House. That's my prediction. I think they have a very good shot at, at taking the the U.S. Senate. I think that will be a lot tougher, a lot closer. Uh, Joseph, one of the kind of the interesting trend things to know in the primaries yesterday, we had six states that had these. Is where was that enthusiasm? And um, if you look at where the enthusiasm was in five out of the six states compared to the last midterm four years ago. Uh, it decidedly favored the GOP. Um, the, the one exception to that was uh, was the, the Kansas vote that you talked about earlier with your previous guest. Uh, that trend has been a pretty consistent trend, almost without exception, uh, the entirety of the, the primary season so far. So that's one of the reasons I say that. But I, I think the signs for a red wave, there's still a lot of signs pointed to that. How big it is, we don't know. Um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of time between now and the election as well. So anything can happen. But I, I still think that the GOP uh, is looking pretty good at this point. There was some sense that the overturn of Roe versus Wade would turn out the left in droves, at least as of yesterday. That doesn't seem to have happened. Brett Kylan, thanks for your time. Thanks, Joseph. Appreciate it. And friends, we thank you for being with us. We look forward to next time here on Washington Watch. Until then, fear God and nothing else. We'll see you tomorrow. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 
372 7234. 